Welcome to the Connect Extension podcast brought to you by the eExtension Foundation. eExtension is a membership-based nonprofit designed to be the engine fueling U.S. Cooperative Extension's advancement and making a more visible and measurable impact in support of education outreach from land-grant universities and colleges located in every state and territory. E-Extension is embedded in the U.S. Cooperative Extension System and serves on the Extension Committee on Organization and Policy. It provides an array of opportunities for extension professionals that foster innovation creation, the adoption of innovations at member institutions, and increased impact of extension programs. This work is supported by membership dollars and funding from USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture, grant number 2019 41595 30124. I'm Aaron Wybe, your host for today's podcast. Today we're going to continue discussing how some extension professionals are handling their field days in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just like our previous episode, we are touching base with some folks that participated in our Connect Extension virtual chat on field days back in June. Today, we have two wonderful guests from North Carolina State University. We have Jen Fawcett, an Extension Associate, and Laurel Kays, an Extension Assistant. Welcome to both of you. Now, you had to move a chainsaw event virtually. Tell us what that was all about. We, in the past, have hosted some women's chainsaw workshops in person. And so when everything changed, we decided we would still attempt to hold them virtually. And so we actually just had our very first one back in June. Um, And so we used all of the same instructors as the original in-person workshop. And what we did was uh, in order to prepare, we went out with the instructors prior to the event, did some filming of different types of cuts and um, had the instructors kind of speak on camera, just short little, you know, like two minute clips, just so people could see what was happening without actually being there in person. And then so we took those recordings and brought them back into the office. And for the uh, for the virtual field day, we had the instructors on camera, they had the, the chainsaws with them, they would like hold them up into the screen so people could see the different parts of the chainsaw. And, um, and then so we had people watch the videos as we went along and they could kind of see what the instructors were talking about uh, as they, you know, went through the, the program. And then Uh, We had breakout, we had a breakout room where it was a much smaller group. So we actually, we had two instructors um, in, so one in each breakout room and the participants were split in half where uh, half of the participants would ask questions of one instructor and the other half would, you know, so it was a much smaller setting, a little more intimate where people could really ask questions that, um, you know, they might want to ask not in front of the larger group. So that worked out pretty well. Um, What did I miss, Laurel? I think one thing I would add is that, um, so for the in-person workshops, the interactive component was probably the most important part of the whole thing. We worked really hard to get our instructors the insurance they needed to make sure that people could be, could actually use the chainsaws. Um, Obviously you can't do that in a virtual world, but we did want to make sure that we preserved as much as possible that interactive component. So all of those things Jen's talked about was, you know, the videos and the instructors being able to show things on camera and the breakout rooms. Um, 
we did try and make it as interactive as possible for a virtual workshop. Um, she also mentioned we did one breakout room. We had actually planned two, um, but and this sort of gets into a whole other thing about virtual workshops and planning, but we had um, limited the workshop to 20 registrations because we did want it to be able to be, you know, facilitate discussion and have a small enough group to do that. And so we had figured that splitting people out into breakout rooms would be helpful, you know, smaller group, easier to talk. Um, but we actually only had 12 folks show up um, for a variety of reasons we can speculate about for you. Um, but so after we did the first breakout room, we asked them, you know, would you rather be all together and have all of the instructors talking and talk to each other? Or do you want to have a second breakout room? And they all unanimously felt like they just wanted to stay together. Um, so that was unplanned, but seemed to work out really well for everybody. So I have to ask for an event that is typically done in person for obvious reasons, what are some of the challenges or what were some of the challenges of doing it virtually? Well, that in itself was probably the biggest challenge is just not being able to have everybody together. You know, there's nothing beats an in-person learning, you know, and so um, we tried our best to do that in this virtual setting. Um, I think it went pretty well, but people just didn't have that hands-on experience that they, they would have gotten in the field. And so um, I think that was probably the biggest challenge is just not being able to give people that hands-on experience and, you know, working with chainsaws are not one of those things where you just want to watch it on a video and then go out and attempt it in the field by yourself. So, uh, so we still encouraged everybody for sure to go out and with somebody more experienced and uh, when they do go out in the field um, to make sure they get that proper hands-on training in the field as well. Um, we also had some challenges with technology. So our, when we were videoing in the field to prepare for this, we, our, our battery for our camera was not working properly. And so we had to kind of switch between cameras and then the batteries for the speakers died. So then we had to try to figure that out and uh, work with the audio. So a lot of it was just kind of more technology issues than anything. I think also just like not knowing, um, you know, for the in-person workshops, we had a pretty good routine nailed down of like when we, the time frame and the day of the week and all of that sort of stuff. And for a virtual workshop, the way your audience responds to those things is just different. Um, and obviously there's a lot of things going on in the world right now that you know, may mean that if you know, someone's planning to attend a virtual workshop, they may just need to drop that and take care of this other thing that's happening. Um, so I think I talked about earlier the folks who didn't show up. Um, those And those are folks who had you know, paid to attend the workshop. It was not a big fee, it was 10 bucks, but still, um, you know, when you're at home and something comes up, it's just a different situation than if you're planning to go in person and attend something, um, you're a little more committed, I think. Yeah, I'm just curious, did you find that there were any benefits to holding this virtually? Definitely the, like, breadth of people who could attend. Um, we had folks who came, a lot of folks from North Carolina, but also people, um, someone from Texas, someone from Illinois, uh, someone from Oregon who attended. So we had a lot of different um, types, a couple of folks from Georgia too. Um, so we had a lot of different folks with different backgrounds and experiences on the workshop, um, which I think was, was kind of cool for people to be able to talk about some different experiences they have, but also have a pretty common background of, you know, wanting to learn more about chainsaws. 
With virtual delivery, were you able to get to the same outcomes or the same impacts as if you were doing it in person? Yes and no. I think that we did as much as we could with it being virtually, but again, going back to the fact that this is a chainsaw workshop specifically, you really have to have that hands-on component and be able to get to have that hands-on experience. So I think as far as knowledge gained, yes, but having that hands-on skills training, we were not able to provide. So um, one option that we've thought about is trying to host a distancing uh, field portion and potentially later this year or early next year. Um, there's another group that's actually done that recently. And so we've tried to glean some information from them on how they did and how that went. And uh, so I, I think we did, you know, from the evaluations that we got, we, d we did evaluations afterwards and everybody, um, I think, was was happy with the way that it went and they got kind of what they were expecting out of it but yeah the hands-on portion was was always nice you sort of answered the next question i have for you but i'm gonna go ahead and ask it anyway if you had to do this again what would you do differently i would say um if we would i would probably push to do it either in an evening time frame or on a weekend so those folks who jen just talked about who have done an in-person one they also did a virtual one um, and they did theirs over um, we had the same amount of time we both did four hours but we did ours on like a thursday in the afternoon and they did theirs over two days two saturdays two hours each um, and I think just for our audience, you know, women who are largely working from home and may have families around and a lot of other things going on, I think that might be a time frame when more folks could actually attend that register. Thank you. Last question for you. What advice do you have for your colleagues across the system that are looking to deliver their field days virtually? I think my advice would be to make it really interactive. People are getting kind of zoomed out right now, and especially from a workshop perspective, you know, workshops are intended to have this kind of hands-on learning and really getting really in-depth and um, more than your basic webinar, right? So we tried really hard to have kind of that same feeling that you would have in person where people can actually see the pieces of a chainsaw and they can see how to do different cuts, you know? And so to provide, we tried to mix it up with different videos and uh, readings and visualizations. And so I think making it interactive with the breakout groups and allowing participants to um, have access to chat among, you know, chat with each other in the chat box. And uh, so that would be my recommendation. Yeah, and I would second everything that Jen said and also add, um, you know, I know it can be really challenging, particularly for extension folks who work primarily with rural people, landowners, um, but to, you know, try and find ways to get folks um, internet access or deliver the program in a way that's going to be accessible to people who may have some limitations there. Um, and also to just you know, move forward, try it and see what works. I think for us planning this workshop, when we first started planning it, it did definitely feel like feeling around in the dark a little bit, um, but it came together. Um, and I think one of the things I've heard a lot of people talking about, both in extension world and in the fire world where I work primarily, um, is that, you know, 
virtual workshops are less ideal. We want to be in person. And I agree. And that's true. But at least for us here in North Carolina, with the way things are going, virtual workshops are probably going to be our primary delivery method for a while. Um, so it's worthwhile just to try some stuff, work with your partners, find out what works um, so that we can keep delivering programming, even as things are kind of crazy right now. And practice. Have yes, practice. practice. <laughs> Make sure your batteries are working. <laughs> and practice your technology. We had a technology like test time with all of the instructors and us the week before um, the actual workshop. And I think that was really helpful for all of us. And that is great advice indeed. I want to say thank you to both Jen and Laurel for taking the time to join us today. We are going to stay on this topic of virtual field days for the next couple of podcast episodes. Before we go today, I just wanted to mention something that was brought up in conversation with Jen and Laurel after we discussed virtual field days, and that was using Connect Extension to advertise webinars, online events, and other offerings that you may have that you want to make available to other cooperative extension professionals across the whole system and to the public. In Connect Extension, we have something called the Learn Calendar, and that's available for anybody across Extension to use, regardless of your membership in the eExtension Foundation or your institution's membership in the eExtension Foundation. When you post an item to that Learn Calendar, what happens is it triggers a notification system that goes out to everybody that has an account within Connect Extension, which is right now sitting around 3,000 Extension users. And then what we also do is we put together the Connect Extension Weekly Digest that goes out on Mondays, and that's sent to about 17,000 folks across the system. We have heard from individuals that are frequently using the Learn Calendar that has really helped drive participation to their events. So I just wanted to make sure that you are aware of that. It's a tool that's available for you to use and something that eExtension supports. Again, thank you. We hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.